Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. Today we will talk about solidarity, the cases of solidarity during the war. We have visited a few villages recently, in particular Motyzhyn uh, and Makariv uh, around Kyiv, and we will tell you a few stories about this. My name is Vladimir Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org. I'm talking to Tetyana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest and biggest Ukrainian media NGOs. Um, and uh, you can always support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We spend a big amount of your support, of your donations on helping the people affected by this war. And on these trips, for example, this one that we will be talking about today. So let's talk about these stories. The first story we would like to share is the story how Makariv, a village heavily, uh, which heavily suffered from the war, heavily uh, damaged during the war, itself is now accepting the refugees, the displaced people from the newly occupied territories, for example, from the eastern Ukraine. In Makariv, we have talked to a woman from Volnovakha, who is called Oksana, and she told us her story. Let's, t- let's talk about this. Uh, yes, indeed. So it was our second trip to Makariv. And uh, um, I remember when we arrived in this uh, culture center uh, with humanitarian aid, as far as we brought some humanitarian aid, there was a kind of a list of people who were in need of this help. And uh, the director of the center, she said that some people who are on the list, some of them are simply retired people in from Makariv, I don't know, old, old elderly people, but some of them, a special group, is displaced people. So people who were coming from the eastern, um, eastern villages, eastern towns, people from Mariupol, for example, uh, people from Volnovakha, and f- from other places. So people uh, whose houses and whose villages and uh, even towns are completely destroyed are coming to a kind of also partially destroyed place and they continue to leave. And this is about the solidarity because people um, in Makariv, they are also traumatized by the war, by these uh, battles in, in during March, but no, now they're accepting people from the east and this woman uh, we were lucky to talk to um, she told us her story about um, her departure from Volnovakha uh, let's situate Volnovakha Volnovakha is a town close to uh, Mariupol in this Don- in Donetsk region she was a kind she was a school teacher for many years she has two kids one of them is a student uh, of a university in Kharkiv, Skovroda University in Kharkiv, the same uni- the university which was destroyed several weeks ago. Destroyed, she, it was touched by a Russian missile. And she told us the story of the first week in Volnovakha when the um, extremely intense shelling started. Uh, she, she, she was unable to walk because schools were closed. Then uh, her husband, uh, he was walking on the railway, but uh, he had no walk at that very moment. They spent the first week in Volnavaha, but they, then they decided to flee, to, to leave the Volnavaha, because Russian troops were arriving quite quickly to Volnavaha. We know that Volnavaha was occupied even before Mariupol, quite quite quickly. 
So they left to Dnipro, Dnipro region. They stayed for a couple of months there in the village. And she also told the story of solidarity of local people who accepted people to live for free in a kind of, a, how they call it, a kind of... A, um, a shelter? shelter not, yeah, not shelter, yeah, shelter for this place. A dormitory. A dormitory, dormitory maybe for, for workers for a kind of a industry. And then uh, uh, as far as this woman... Uh, she has a chronic uh, illness and she has to be close to Kiev because she needs regular visits to a central hospital. We don't know exactly which kind of illness she has, but uh, she needs some monitoring from this hospital. She was in search of a, a kind of a place close to Kiev, but at the same time not so expensive. And uh, her friends suggested him a Karif and she was able to rent for a modest price uh, an apartment in a, in a building here in Makariv. In fact, some hundred meters from these multi-storied buildings in Makariv, which were destroyed during Russian uh, occupation. Her second son, he's uh, seven years old, if I'm not mistaken, mm, so uh, she will be attending a school uh, later, maybe starting from September. And the story is that she was very happy to find this place in Makariv. They are in um, insecurity in that place now. She is able to continue to work because uh, she's a school teacher and they will be organizing things online. They were already organizing things online during March, April and May. And they will restart that starting from September. And surely enough, we ask the question, why, how do you feel here in Makarif and do you feel any kind of support from locals, from local people? And uh, she told us a story about the humanitarian aid um, that a retired woman, uh, elderly woman, uh, she got her humanitarian aid in the culture center. And on her way back, he, she dropped in the apartment of Oksana and she gave her a part of this humanitarian aid saying that you are in, in need, so we have to share. And this is something which impressed this woman very much because it was an elderly woman who was also in need because we know that she um, retired people, they are not so, so, so rich in Ukraine, they, they receive uh, just a very poor... Uh, poor self, not salary, but poor sum of money monthly, and she was quite open to this family, and this is was this was something impressive for this woman from Volnavaha. They all still hope they will come back home, but at that moment, this is about the two groups of people, one group of people which suffered a lot from Russian. Russian battles and occupation, another group of people coming directly from the front line. So let, let us try to understand this story. The story about uh, one, some, some people who are living near Kyiv in Makariv, uh, which is heavily damaged, heavily, heavily damaged uh, town. And uh, you can listen to our podcast about Makariv. There are indeed many private buildings which are completely destroyed. Uh, especially on the street, uh, which is called Shlehetska uh, Street, where you have private housing, and there is just a empty space uh, on the place of, of a private house. And, of course, these people were 
evacuating in March uh, during these hostilities. And I think they were evacuating at the same time when the Oksana were fleeing from Volnabakh. It was the same time. Then uh, at the late of March, people from Makariv came back to Makariv. This was liberated. Volnabakh is occupied by the Russians. So now we have stories of people who are uh, coming from this eastern Ukraine to the places which also suffered, which, which were also damaged. So this is kind of a very specific solidarity because this is a big difference to 2014. In 2014, people who were coming, the displaced people, were coming to places which were not touched by the war. And uh, of course, they were also welcomed. Uh, basically, the majority of stories are, are normal stories. There were, of course, bad stories about misunderstandings, about hostile attitude to the eastern from, uh, people from the eastern Ukraine. But now I think these, these cracks which were in 2014, they do not exist because people in Makariv understand what, what it means to be under shelling in the same way as people in Volnovakha, uh, people from Kramatorsk, people from Severodonetsk, etc. So it's, it seems that the, the country is covered by the wounds and some places which are wounded accept other people which are also wounded too, but which, who, can, uh, he, who cannot come back. Yes, I think you're absolutely right uh, trying to underline this difference with 2014 because in 2014 there was a kind of a, a kind of an idea that in in a way people from the east from Donbas were guilty guilty for being attacked by Russia because they were pro-Russian etc. It wasn't true. But now uh, Ukrainians in all regions, in central, in the north, in the south, in the west, they do understand that there is no reason for this aggression and you don't provoke Russia, Russia attacks uh, wherever you are. And um, there are a lot of much more solidarity. This is exactly for that reason, because you don't call for Russia, but they come. And it happens in Makariv, and it happened in Donetsk, in Lugansk in 2014. So there is no more this artificial idea about pro-Russian people in the East. Yes, indeed, in 2014, there were some people, some people uh, who were welcoming Russians, but there was a mi minority. But in the rest of the countries, there was a kind of idea that uh, these people were guilty. That's why Russia is attacked and that's why these regions were occupied. Today we see that uh, this is n simply not true and uh, there's a solidarity between victims in a way because both groups, I mean in Makariv, in Bucha and in, in Volnovakho, Mariupol, people, civilians, they are victims of this um, aggression. Yes, and... Uh... We asked this Oksana if she intends, if she, if she is thinking of coming back to Volnovakha. Uh, and I, frankly, I was expecting an answer. No, I, I actually will live with understanding that I will never come back to it. Maybe we could have expected this answer. But instead, we, we, we got the answer of confidence that yes, yes, I'm, I will come back. We are waiting for the liberation of Volnovakha. And... Uh, her house is there. It seems that it is not damaged by, by the warfare. So she has a place to return. 
Mm, but uh, but of course it it will depend. She, she cannot return as a Ukrainian teacher, a teacher of Ukrainian school, uh, who speaks perfectly Ukrainian. Uh, of course, she cannot come back right now. Some of the teachers uh, stayed in Volnovakha, and it seems that it, it is also a cleavage, right? A cleavage of people who stayed and who are now working for Russian schools, for Russian occupation authorities, and those people who left. Uh, yes, uh, she um, in fact she described in a way the relationship between people from Volnovakha who left and who stayed. Uh, she talked about the communication. First of all, communication is difficult because there is no no more Ukrainian mobile networks there. But uh, when they she's l- lucky to reach some ancient colleagues from school or families of pupils because for example she was asking people if they their kids will be continuing to follow her online lessons um, starting from September she said that communication is quite uh, bizarre why because uh, she asks for example people how are you doing what's happening in Volnovakha how, how is what what the life looks like and in responses she doesn't get any kind of um, any kind of uh, description of political judgments. She says people say everything is okay. Your house is still here. Uh, trees are in flowers, or something like like uh, something like very something very concrete, not describing the real situation. And she described it like a like a, some troubles in communication because people are in, in occupied territories they uh, don't feel free to talk they are afraid of persecutions and uh, they're not open they can describe what they see but they have they are afraid to to to, to say any kind of statement any kind of judgment of what's not only on. political statements but even description of the situation like what is happening if the, if there are battles if there are explosions they are not talking about this. They are silent. And um, this is another thing that surprises us, that uh, people in the occupied territories are either censored, so either they are told not to talk, they are told by the occupation authorities, or this is a kind of a self, self-censorship. They are afraid that they will be punished by the occupation authorities if they talk. And uh, this is very specific thing. I think that can explain uh, w- what was happening during the Soviet times, why we have so much silence about it, why we have so much silence about Holodomor or, or the repressions or the killing of people. Uh, that was a society when you were afraid to talk. That was a society of self-imposed uh, silence or the silence which is imposed from the outside. And I think we are living... If we're talking about newly occupied territories, we are living in a society which is quite close to it. And uh, the whole difference with the Ukrainian society in which people are open and people are talking very much and people are uh, trying to tell their stories, even if they're very tragic stories and very dramatic stories. Let's come back to the solidarity thing. What uh, impressed me is that these people in the culture center, they have a kind of a, um, uh, how to say it, a, a, a notepad in which they write down the, all the 
uh, all the names, all the surnames, the, the, the phone numbers of people to whom they are giving this humanitarian aid. Uh, we also see lots of things that volunteers from all across Ukraine brought here. We ourselves brought uh, some food and there is a place where the, there is a storage for food, but also there is a place of the clothes, right? And people are coming and getting these clothes. So indeed, I think this, this story shows us this incredible thing, how uh, different parts of Ukraine are now much closer to each other than they were before, uh, of course, because of this tragic circumstances. Let us talk about another another village which is not far away from Makari, which is called Motyzhin, to which we also uh, went this time. And in this village th there was a tragic story because the head of this village, Olga Suhenko, was killed, was murdered by the Russian soldiers together with her husband and with her son. And uh, then their grave was discovered in a forest uh, so she was killed not alone, but with her family. And this was, of course, a, a very big story in Ukraine. So we came to Motyzhin and talked to a, a woman who knew Olha Suhenka very closely. And she tried to uh, tell her story. Yes, indeed, this story is quite, uh, it's really tragic. Um, let's explain that Motyzhin is a small village compared to Makariv. It is about uh, 1,000 inhabitants in this village. Uh, it, if Makariv is a kind of a center, center, so thirteen thousand people, culture center, uh, kids, schools, etc. In Motyzhin, you have only 1,000 of population. You have only one. Once again, uh, culture center is a center of the social life in this village. And um, Motyzhin was also occupied, well, it was not also, because Makariv was not, wasn't occupied. For sure, some streets were occupied in, in Makariv. Motyzhin was completely occupied by the end of February already. And uh, this uh, head of the village, Olga Suhenka, was somebody... Uh, extremely brilliant, according to what we've heard about her, her in during this conversation. She was quite young for this position. She was 50 years old and she was a leader of this village for many years already. And she was really uh, somebody who, who, who took care of the village in, in many aspects of that life. For example, she organized... Uh, and this uh, huge uh, rebuilding, rebuilding of this culture center. She was taking care of the roads, uh, of all the common common activities in the village, and she stayed as many as many herds of the villages uh, we observed in in many other villages. For example, in Brovary region, uh, the question frequently asked: Why you stayed in village if you had the opportunity to leave it to evacuate? Uh, these people, they were staying to help people, to help their um, neighbors and the whole village during the occupation. So Olga, Suhenka and her family, they stayed together with their son and she was quite busy during all this time. She was bringing food to people who were unable to, to find something. She was... Um, 
taking care of the village and the tragedy of this situation is that she was killed uh, three days on the 23rd of March she was killed three days before Ukrainian troops deoccupied the village so she was here during the whole month of occupation she survived it was no problem but she was killed just before Ukrainian troops came and uh, we talked uh, to people in Matizhan and nobody is sure nobody knows for sure what was the exact reason of this murder so uh, and why um, Russians they, they killed her just before they left yes this is indeed a a a, a big question we can we can suspect that uh, Russians suspected her of helping the Ukrainian army of helping the Ukrainian resistance uh, knowing this person Basically, Motizhin is indeed a, a nice village with paved roads. And we asked uh, a woman who knew her uh, how they were living because she had power in her village for decades. She was Before she was a starosta after this decentralization reform, self-governance reform, she was also a, in the village council, the head of the, I think, the head of the village council. And uh, people were voting for her, re-electing her, and uh, they were living quite modestly. So this was an example of a, of a good, wealthy Ukrainian peasant uh, who would uh, own uh, her shop, who would uh, also have, have, some, uh, have some business maybe. Uh, her husband also had some business, some car repair business. But uh, they were not people who would, you know, steal money or who would accumulate wealth. They were living as other villagers and they were taking, really taking care of the village. So they were investing the public funds into the public uh, causes. And maybe this was something that, uh, that pushed her also to do some activities which Russia suspected. Russia suspect uh, the question is that people, the, that woman we talked to, she actually also showed us one of the patterns of the occupation. During the whole month, she has never seen a Russian soldier because she was sitting in her house uh, and not going to the village, not going out to the streets. So this is also one of the patterns. So we talked about many patterns of the occupation. Some people talked to soldiers, some people were tortured by Russian soldiers, some people were killed, or some other people haven't just seen her, seen them, despite the fact that they were oh, during one month of the occupation. Uh, talking about uh, Olha Suhenko, it seems that they were kind of a coming for her several times. And uh, the question we are asking is that why did they kill her, despite the fact that they would not make any big massacre in Motizhan? It's not like Bucha that they will killing hundreds of people. Uh, it seems that uh, Olga Suhenko, maybe some other, a few other people, a few other boys, uh, I think, who just worked for a kind of uh, intelligence for Ukrainian army inside the, inside the village uh, were killed. So we, we are talking about several people, not, not the dozens of people, not hundreds of people. But this might show indeed that Maybe this was a revenge for something. So Russians were 
preparing to go away and they decided to to kill the head of the village and also the question why okay you're killing the head of the village but why are you killing the members of the family right the the, the husband and the son the son is very young i think like He's about 20 years old yeah, yes and and the son actually could have ex escaped because he he came to the village after i think after 24th of february uh she, he was living i think in in, in kiev. kiev right right so it's also another story how people who tried to escape from the war actually came to a more danger dangerous places but these are these stories we 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 wanted to talk to you or talk to you about to tell you both are the stories of a of a solidarity of a solidarity in one case we're talking about solidarity uh, from one wounded place towards people from another wounded place, another damaged place. And in, 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 in the second case, we're talking about this kind of a feel, very specific feel, when the head of the village feels so much solidarity with, with the dwellers of the village, with people around her, that she stays in the village and uh, risks her life. We have seen many other stories in which the starostas of the village risked their lives but did not did not live their their community this is also this type of stories that we uh, notice so much uh, in ukraine how incredible is the action of people on their level of responsibility on the villages on the level of towns on the level of the utility companies on the level of the emergency service how these ordinary people show the extreme, sometimes heroism. And this is probably that impresses us the most in, in this situation, that uh, suddenly you realize that your country uh, is surviving, not because of you know, top politicians, top intellectuals, top businessmen, but on the fact that on each possible level there are such remarkable people who help others, who resist, who, who do, not, uh, do not let them subjugate. And this is incredible. Yeah, that's it, exactly. So, and these horizontal links in Ukrainian society are maybe the most uh, important and they explain uh, Ukrainian resistance, in fact. So this capacity of... Uh, Ukrainians to organize, to self-organize on the on the level of a village, and when the I don't know a teacher of uh, dance um, becomes uh, a volunteer, helping people to evacuate, where young boys who ha don't have driving license, they also driving cars to evacuate people. Uh, when people we, who are not professionals and uh, territorial defense is uh, what we call an um, army composed of civilians, so people who had no military experience. And these boys from territorial defense without driving license, they were, they were evacuating people from Makarif. We already told this story. And uh, everybody on its level, on his or her level, is trying to, to help in a way. So this is a stories of solidarity which help Ukraine resist um, and that's why these stories are important this was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org a website in English about Ukraine 
We have talked with Tetyana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of Ukraine World. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest and biggest Ukrainian media NGOs. Listen to our podcasts on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to uh, share it with your colleagues, with your friends. You can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Uh, we spend the uh, majority of your support to help people affected by this war in our humanitarian volunteer trips across Ukraine. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.